irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Max and friends, he says what he wants, ain't holding nothing back. Got the Talk Radio and all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends, and I'm your host, Max Tucci. Welcome back to another Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of Max and Friends. Whatever day it is, whatever time you're tuning into, I'm grateful that you're here. And if it's your first time joining us, where have you been? We're going to be here 13 years this May. Wow. I was doing podcasting before it was even podcasting. I was doing podcasting when they called it internet radio, when no one would come on the show, when publicists were like, what is that? We're not having our clients on that. And now publicists are calling and awards have been given. So it's a good thing. And the reason why I bring it up is because when you have a purpose, stick to it. Um, You know, really, no matter what goes on in life, listen, these are not easy things to do. And coming up with new topics and new shows all the time is something that for me just comes naturally. And I go, I go to spirit sometimes and just say, what do we need to talk about? (laughs) What do we need to discuss? So what we're going to discuss today is a very interesting topic and one that I've been wanting to discuss for quite some time. It is about death. It is about grief. It is about grieving. And it's really just about being in the space to talk about it. You know, one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen was Joan Rivers and her daughter, Melissa, sit down and talk about death. And Joan was telling Melissa, look, I'm not going to be here forever. And this is what I want to happen in my life. And I think because Joan was known as a comedian, a lot of humor was in it. And death is humorous. It's funny because it's going to happen to everybody. You know, we put the stankness on it where we're like, oh, so-and-so is dying or this is death. And, you know, and then strange deaths happen where it's, I love the, I, I, the term unexpected um, really is is funny to me because the only thing that is expected in life is death, well, birth and death. <laughs> Those are the two expected things in life and everything else is just part of the ride. And Alan Watts, as you know, if you're tuning into Max and Friends over the years, follow me at Max Tucci, tweet me, DM me, be part of the show, join the conversation. But if you've been listening to the show, Alan Watts is really someone who, between a rock and a hard place, I've heard scholars say all he was was just a drunk and a druggie. But to me, between the rock and the hard place, I find a lot of wisdom. (laughs) For me, personally, I find a lot of wisdom in his teachings. We found a great teaching of Alan Watts that we're going to talk about in just a moment. My guest who's joining me later on in the show is Jill Johnson Young, The Rebellious Widow. That's the author. That's the book, the author of The Rebellious Widow, A Practical Guide to Love and Life After Loss. What does that mean? What does The Rebellious Widow mean? And are you one? If so... Instagram or tweet us at Max Tucci and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But yeah, so Alan Watts, you know, I I listen to a lot of his teachings and one that I love is acceptance of death and and new life. Okay. So is that the title of it? I have a note here that I'm reading, but you know what happened? The note was written in a highlighter and sometimes that just doesn't work when I have to read notes. So here it is. Acceptance of death and meaning of life. There it is um, by Alan Watts. We're going to play that. It's about six minutes long. So now's the time where if you want to leave the room, get something to drink, or if you want to just sit down and chill, or if you want to create a space where, you know what, let's just create that space of stillness, of silence, where really you can hear these words that are going to be on this show, because it's an important topic. And we're going to we're going to talk about it. It's important in the sense I can laugh at the the word important because it's important because we're not talking about it. And it's one thing that we should openly freely discuss because again, it's inevitable. And one thing that I know for sure is that this show is going to really disrupt a lot of patterns and pathologies that we are taught, that we are handed down, that could be general curses, um that could be Uh, generational curses even, um, where we were told one thing about death and it stuck with us. And then we pass it on and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. 
to our family members. And meanwhile, what we're doing is we're holding them hostage to an experience that is really supposed to be beautiful. So with that said, Alan Watts right now here on Max and Friends. And when we're back, Jill Johnson Young, the rebellious widow, will join me on Max and Friends right now. Alan Watts and the acceptance of death and the meaning of life. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If any one of us could at this moment be as one about to die, genuinely and honestly, we would understand the mystery of life. Because death is the source of life. Just as we see in nature, when the leaves fall from the trees, they mold and rot. And this supplies humus from which more plants can grow. It's a cycle life. But in every way, symbolic and otherwise, human beings try to stop that cycle. It is not, therefore, natural for us to wish to prolong life indefinitely. But we live in a culture where it has been rubbed into us in every conceivable way that to die is a terrible thing. And that is a tremendous disease from which our culture in particular suffers. And we notice it firstly in the way in which death is swept under the carpet. When one gets to an extreme, that is to say, to the point where you realize that there is nothing you can do about life, nothing you could not do about life, then you're the mosquito biting the iron bull. Well, so in the same way, he said, look, you heard a bomb coming at you. You could hear it whistle and you knew it was right above you and headed straight at you and that you were finished. And you accepted it. And suddenly there was a strange feeling that everything is absolutely clear. You suddenly see that there isn't a grain of dust in the whole universe that's in the wrong place. That you understand completely absolutely, totally, what it's all about. Because you can't say what it is. So, you see, this is always the opportunity presented by death. That if one can go into death with eyes open and have somebody help you, if necessary, to give up before you die, this extraordinary thing can happen to you. So that from your standpoint, in that position, at that time, you would say, I wouldn't have missed that opportunity for the world. Now I understand why we die. The reason we die is to give us the opportunity to understand what life's all about. By letting go. Because then we come to a situation that the ego can't deal with. When we are no longer hypnotized by that, then our natural consciousness can see clearly what all this universe is for. So, therefore, we have missed this golden opportunity by institutionalizing death out of the way instead of having a socially understood acceptance of death and rejoicing in death. To be important, existence does not have to go on any longer than a moment. Quantitative continuity is of no value. Who said you're supposed to survive? Who gave you the idea that it's a gas to go on and on and on? And we can't say that it's a good thing for everything to go on living from the very simple demonstration that if we enable everybody to go on living, we overcrowd ourselves. That we're like an unpruned tree. We can also look further into it and see that if our death could be indefinitely postponed, we would not actually go on postponing it indefinitely. Because after a certain point, we would realize that that isn't the way in which we wanted to survive. Why else would we have children? 
because children arranged for us to survive in another way by as it were passing on a torch so that you don't have to carry it all the time there comes a point where you can give it up and say now you work it's a far more amusing arrangement for nature to continue the process of life through different individuals than it is always with the same individual. Because as each new individual approaches life, life is renewed. And one remembers how fascinating the most ordinary everyday things are to a child. Because they see them all as marvelous, because they see them all in a way that is not related to survival and profit. When we get to thinking of everything in terms of survival and profit value, as we do, then the shapes of scratches on the floor cease to have magic. And most things, in fact, cease to have magic. So therefore, in the course of nature, once we have ceased to see magic in the world anymore, we are no longer fulfilling nature's game of being aware of itself. There's no point in it anymore. And so we die. And so something else comes to birth, which gets an entirely new view. And so nature's self-awareness is a game worth the candle. message and that teaching that Alan Watts has given us because really I think the most beautiful thing that I gathered from that is death is the source of life and what does that mean and if you're tuning in right now by no means am I suicidal that's why I'm not doing the show <laughs> I know some of you are like why is Max talking about death well because it's been around us and in the last year it's really been around us and the news reminds us how much of death is around us but also I think what the news fails to mention is how much life is around us and how much are still living and how many are still recovering. And I always go to nature and I see the trees and they're still dancing. And I see leaves that are dying and falling off. And I see new leaves that are, that are reemerging. I see flowers that are blooming and I see flowers that are dying. You know, I see grass that is browning and grass that is green. So it's a constant reminder of the duality of life, death and life and the beauty of it. And that death is the source of life. So tonight on Max and Friends, we're going to talk about this because it's something, you know, for a very long time, um, since the beginning of my, of my existence, death was presented to me at a very young age. And it's something for years I was really pissed off about. You know, my father died when I was eight years old and I was so mad. <laughs> um, but not at the beginning, not as a child. As a child, I just thought like, oh, daddy went away. But then it was like, yeah, you know, when my mother, who did the best she could in raising us, um, would fill us in with stories. And then my Aunt Mary, who did the best in continuing the legacy of my father and my grandparents, would tell us. And then I was getting angry. I would get angry, like, why did you leave me? These people got to experience you. And I didn't. So it was really that anger that carried with me for a very long time. And it's I, my story is, and if you if you don't like uh, the f bomb, about to drop it, but it goes from my fuck you to my thank you. And the reason why I say that is because I was pissed. You know, a lot of you are pissed, especially during this last year. Your loved ones have died. You should be pissed, um, but you should also grieve. And I never really grieved as a child because I didn't understand what death and the 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 absence of a person was until I, you know, became older and figured it out. <laughs> and it was quite interesting. And years and years, I held on to the fuck you for years that it literally stopped me from doing so many things. And then I was at Kashi Ashram in Florida walking around. And it was the epiphany of thank you. Like, I can't be mad at you. I have to thank you. Because here I am living my life and I'm being me. 
I'm enjoying me. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, my father worked in the restaurant. My grandfather worked in the restaurant. It was a very intense industry. Delmonico's, over a thousand lunches a day. And there was such a high standard of excellence at Delmonico's. And they were grooming me for that. I read some Greenwich Times uh, articles. You know, I'm doing the book now the cookbook entertainment book. And I was reading articles. I was seven years old and I was already cleaning the ashtrays and cleaning the kitchen and setting tables and doing all this stuff. It was a chain and ball for something that really wasn't my life. And so literally my father's death gave me my life. And the reason why I say that is because it's all around us. Inspiration is everywhere. And just because they're not here any longer, doesn't mean that if we say their name, that their spirit can't be felt. So I encourage you for the loved ones that you've lost to say their names because their energy will be felt. And there's a beautiful African proverb that says, every time you say my name, my spirit shall live. So with that, we're going to get into death. We're going to get into grief. We're going to get into love and life after loss with my guest, Jill Johnson Young, the author of The Rebellious Woman widow <laughs> and a rebellious woman i would imagine right i'm so caught up in just how this is good this show is going to break so many um patterns and pathologies that i'm like drifting into almost a state of another dimension another portal so i gotta reel myself back into being a host the book is called the rebellious widow and my guest is jill johnson young welcome to max and friends thank you max i'm so glad to be back I'm, you know, it's great to have you here. And I was like going through my head. I'm like, Jill was here. She was on The Polished Woman. Like you've, we've had you around, but now you have a book. Now I you have, have a new book. book. It's fabulous. You have many books. Yes. This one, The Rebellious Widow, A Practical Guide to Love and Life After Loss. So before we get into the book, what did you think of the whole Alan Watts teaching that we just aired? I love Alan Watts and I do a Friday grief chat live on Facebook with a friend of mine who's a humorist and also does grief. And we talk about him frequently. I love his approach to it. I love that he's candid about it. I love that he brings through the topic of even just talking about death and that death brings new dimensions to us and that accepting that death is always there also Mm -hmm. brings us into the ability to see that when we die, we leave things behind and leave people behind. That mm. there are legacies. Your dad's legacy is who you are, just in the way that you're supposed to be. Yeah. You took his energy and you took because certainly he had to have energy to do Delmonico's. <laughs> and you took his ability to talk to people and be people and do those things. And you've carried him on, but as Max. Yeah. And that's what death does for us. It lets us say goodbye as we grieve and grow from the grief and really turn into who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his, his approach to it. He's, he's calming. He's soothing. He makes it not scary to talk about death. And death is scary for probably 90% of the planet. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it. They see me standing behind a table with something that says grief behind me. And they literally put their hand up and mm-hmm. do like a half, half circle around me. So they don't have to look at me. <laughs> like, oh my God. Someone's talking about grief. Let's get away from her. Yeah. Right? I well, love why do you, stuff. why do you think grief? Why do you think death is so scary? Because we don't teach kids about it anymore. It didn't mm-hmm. used to be scary. Mm-hmm. You know, 200 years ago, people died at home. Right. And, and they were laid out on the dining room table. <laughs> right. And if you were lucky, they had ice and some burlap right. sacks, right? Yeah. We've been doing death for a long time. They are finding like <laughs> Iron Age and before um, funeral, you know, they're, they're finding burials. They're finding them from, you know, the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. And they are laid out and there are flowers mm-hmm. in those graves. So clearly we've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then we made it all sanitized and we went to hospitals and we... We made it scary. And I still get calls saying, you know, grandma's dying. Do we tell the kids? Like, well, what are you going to tell them? <laughs> right? She got on a plane and she didn't get COVID clearance, so she couldn't come back. How right. does that even work? You have to talk about it. Yeah. You were fortunate in a sense in that with your dad's death, you had people around you talking about it. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate in that my parents were always the oldest parents on the planet in my group. Mm-hmm. And we had pets and lizards and things. And so from the time I can remember, we were doing funerals, whether they were 
people funerals in churches <laughs> or they were in the backyard with the lizard, right? Oh, yeah. We had a couple with the goldfish in the toilet. <laughs> right? We actually buried the goldfish. <laughs> you were one step ahead. You know, I'll tell you a funny story just to crack the ice. And so the people who are like, oh, this is going to be a gloomy conversation. It's, it's not. not. So a very funny uh, story. Not in the sense that how it happened, but my mom had a very cute Yorkie and he got hit by a car and got killed. So, and I was going to a black tie event as this was unfolding. So I'm in the car, all dressed up in my tuxedo, leaving the driveway. And I see little Spencer at the side of the road. And I'm like, oh shit. Like now I have to like go back and tell this whole story. I'm like, I can't, I'm gonna, I gotta go. So I picked up little Spencer and I put him in the mailbox because I didn't want like a coyote to get him or any of that. So I put him in the mailbox. I was like, and it was already evening. So I said, when I get home, I'm going to deal with this. And when I called my cousin Marissa on the way and I said, Marissa, I need a really good wooden wine box, <laughs> a really beautiful wooden wine box. At the time they had the restaurant SD 26 in New York. So I said, I need a really good wooden wine box. So after I went to the city, did the black tie event, I went to Marissa's. I got this wooden wine box. I went home. I took little Spencer from the mailbox. I put him in the wine box. And then the next morning I told, I said, well, I told my mom that night that Spencer had got hit by a car. She was obviously all upset. The next day, my mom is like, we have to have a funeral for the dog. I said, okay, as always, that's what we did. We would dress up and we would have these flowers in a procession. And we have this gentleman, Chinto from Guatemala, who was working for us at the time. Chinto's digging the grave. Chinto brings the box. My mother's crying. My niece is crying. And Chinto takes the box, takes the lid off, and dumps the dog in the hole without the box. And I said, Chinto, what are you doing? He goes, but it's a good box. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So all of this orchestrated event to create this perfect box I looked at it as like, you know, a resting uh, vessel for the dog. And Chinto looked at it as, but it's a good box. I can use it. <laughs> the dog doesn't need exactly. it anymore. So, you know, then all of a sudden, everyone's tears turned into laughter because it was just like, you know, his little tongue was sticking out. You saw the dog. and It was just like it became, oh, my God. Like, how ridiculous is this whole thing? It's like, no, we need to celebrate and just laugh a little. So uh, by no means am I minimizing anyone's pain. I just want you to know that somewhere deep inside of it, you'll find laughter again. There so, should be humor when people are dying and have, have died. That's so how do we, how do process. we, get, so how do we get, how do we, how do we, how do we get into the process of something that's been painted as so like gloomy and bring it into something that could be humorous. How do we make that transition? Well, you know, um, I got to say, when my first wife was dying, she was telling jokes until three hours before she died. <laughs> For those who don't know me, I've been widowed twice. Um, and so we we always had laughter as part of it. I think when you start looking at who the person was who died or the creature who died, and you look at what made them laugh and what made them happy, you can remember them for who they were, not for the fact that they that they're dead. Mm. Bring that who the, the essence of who they are. Look at what pissed them off, right? Because yeah. that's always the the things that you did to frustrate them actually become humorous after a while, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what actually did you true. do to your dad that you now you can laugh about? Yeah, no, of course, you know, and also it's all memory. And you know, I was listening again this morning when I did my, last night. I have to well, you already know because I sent you an email. But I had a dream about us last night about doing this show. Mm-hmm. And it was very Gordana Birnat was there, who's one of the Oprah Super Soul 100s. And we were all having this really amazing conversation. And then Nicole Kidman popped up into the whole scenario. And she was there and she was on the show and she was talking about her experiences with death. But in the dream, Nicole Kidman was in a room and I saw like what was going on because the camera was like kind of going around. And there were all of these people who I assume, you know, were relatives of hers in the room why nicole kidman why her relatives i have no idea but it got me to think that you know everyone from who we put on pedestals to the least have all gone through the experience of death and so i really wanted to again just talk about this this conversation you know recently a friend of mine um who's been sick for on and off for many years and i'm sure was supposed to die many 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 years ago when doctors play god um you know, and doctors play God again with her and they said X, Y, and Z is supposed to happen and here's the date. And so I was thinking about this even more. It's like the blessing that if you're told when it's going to happen gives you the ability to really enjoy your life. Right. It is like that movie, The Bucket List. 
Isn't it Is like it the not? bucket list? Yes. Okay. So we're going to talk about The Rebellious Widow um, because there's some really interesting touch points that you have in the book uh, that I think are super, super important to to let our listeners know about. Um, the death process is part of the book. That's huge. Um, and also one that I really want to talk about, the effects of grief. But before we get into the effects of grief, what to you, what does grief mean to you? To me, grief is a time where you finish up everything you didn't finish with the person who died. Mm. All the things you should have said, all the things they should have said, all the things that you had plans for and they had plans for that didn't get done. All the apologies that should have been made. You know, if I'm lucky enough to be with someone before they die, I tell their kids, this is the time to tell your parents when you took the car and they didn't know it. Right. You snuck out of the house. Make it humorous. You can because they can't get out of the hospital bed now. This is that time. It's safe. Right. And people can laugh about it. But it is. It's a time to finish all the stuff because the people who don't finish the leftovers just sit in it Mm. and they don't recover. And we know that there's research that says if you do that stuff and you reorganize your life. So that you take that loss and make it part of who you are, but still mm-hmm. keep them with you in some way, as you have with your dad, as I have with my late wives and everybody else who's died, because I've got a whole room full too, then mm-hmm. you can actually live a healthier life. The folks who don't reorganize, don't recover, don't do the stuff, they die sooner. Mm. We know this. So it, I call it going out and finding the sunshine again. You really have to be able to take who they were and remember them as they were Mm -hmm. because we do make dead people angels. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the message. Right. Someone dies. People say, aren't you glad God gave you another angel? No, frankly, I'm really kind of pissed off. I'd rather have them back, please. They can have your angel. You pick (laughs) it. You you want to have dead in your family. Right. Right. I want mine back. Right. So you really want to be able to, to take that person as they were Mm -hmm. and take them with you and then continue to say their name and, you know, our Christmas tree is now full of ornaments of people who've died. I love that legacy. Tell us what you do, because that's such a beautiful tradition, too, that you do. When someone dies, we, I take their picture and we turn it into an ornament. And I don't make it the, the sweet little pictures that we all have. <laughs> my sister posed this picture of my grandmother, who was not a sweet person most of the time. <laughs> right. She was an old time nurse and a minister's wife. So straight laced was putting it mildly. <laughs> And when she had dementia, my sister got her to pose in this pink dress holding this lily because her name was Lily. And she looks like everyone's sweetest grandmother. My friends who knew her laugh when they see that picture. <laughs> so that's her picture on our tree, right? She should be, it sounds like she should have been holding poison ivy. <laughs> she should have been holding our needle or something, right? And my first wife, Linda, she, she tried on a wedding dress for my sister because my sister was getting married. Mm-hmm. And we were looking at dresses all over the country. Linda didn't like dresses. Linda mm-hmm. was a Catholic schoolgirl and hated dresses. But she put on this dress and I took her picture and she said, if that ever goes public, I will kill you. <laughs> now, this is before social media even existed. So that picture is on her ornament on our tree because that's who she, you know, it's the funny parts of them. It's, yes, it's the humor. Again, it's it putting is. humor into the death. You know, what's interesting was um, I was listening to another Alan Watts um lesson this morning and he said something to the effect that when we lose our memory is when we lose who we are but then we could be born into something new because we don't remember who we were so i was then thinking about like alzheimer's and i know you you talk about dementia a lot and i'm thinking so does that mean that people who have alzheimer's and dementia start forgetting are in the rebirth process or in the renewal process of this is a new self because they get to learn everything new. So then it got me to think of a whole nother show <laughs> that I want to do with you. But today I do want to focus on on grief because again, like you said, I don't want you to take my you you know that's your angel. I want mine back. Right, hand them over. Are going through that now more than ever. You know, back in um, last April, my grandmother um, Letty she died in a nursing home, and she was sick for years. Uh, about four years. But prior to that, she was flying single engine planes, tango, yoga instructor for 30 plus years. And she was my adoptive grandmother. So it was very difficult because the nursing home knew that they wouldn't give me information on anything about her health. Um, I got into huge fights about it where they finally then like agreed to tell me. But um, the point of that is, is that for Grandma Letty, you know, she never wanted to be in a nursing home. 
And we were joking when she first had that stroke because she was able to speak after. She was like, you know, just put the pillow on my head. I'm like, oh, if I could, I would. (laughs) Um, But instead, COVID put the pillow on her head. And, you know, and I was so grateful of all the COVID deaths. That was the one that I was most grateful for because her suffering ended. And, um, you know, I really I, I found such a piece with COVID back in April to the effect that someone who was in so much pain, so much suffering, didn't want to be alive, no longer had to be. She was released. She was released. And so I know a lot of people don't share the same belief that I do or the same feelings that I do. So what do you say to to family members and to our listeners tonight who can't laugh at death, who COVID came in like a thief in the night and took their loved ones. What is the process that they have to go through in order to really, again, to be able to have humor in life again? Well, first of all, part of the COVID death process is trauma for the family because Mm -hmm. they aren't present. Mm -hmm. For, For most people, they go to the hospital and the doors swing shut and that's it. All they get is a phone call. Do you want us to intubate or not? Mm. Um, I've got folks like that I talk to every day. And that's why I have the piece in the book about the dying process, Mm -hmm. because people need to know what their loved ones have experienced and that they are being taken care of and that they are being medicated and they're not in pain. Those are hugely important parts for family members who've had a loss from COVID. Mm -hmm. And part of for them is working through the trauma of that part of the loss. They need to be able to talk about what scared them about all the images that they're seeing on TV, Mm. which are really horrifying. They're searing to the brain too. They are. We have a commercial out here in California telling us to wear masks, but the commercial is the sound of people on respirators as the Mm -hmm. camera pans down the hallway. That has terrified lots of my people. Yeah. Right. So we need to be able to get those images out. So how to understand they were comfortable. What is the process to remove the trauma? Because the trauma, I think of everything about COVID. And I think the trauma, not only for people who have lost someone, but for the doctors and the nurses and the social workers who have to see this every day, there's going to be such a, you know, a sadness to the industry where it's like, there really is a lot of trauma. And we're not talking about the mental health crisis that's going to happen because of this. So trauma is a very big thing. Let's talk about trauma because we're going to do a show actually about trauma versus drama (laughs) and the big separation between the two. But as far as trauma goes, when there's death, it's death related. How do you assist and help family members to get through the trauma? I first of all have them tell me what they're scared of. What is holding them in? What images do they have in their head? What fears do they have? What questions didn't get answered? And we Mm. write it all down. And then because I do have a lot of experience in the dying process um, and a lot of connections in the medical community, we go through those and we I re-educate them about what really happened versus what their imagination is telling mm, them happened. The truth. Right. Right. Mm. You you had the, the sometimes hospitals are holding phones up to people, um, especially the ones who aren't on respirators, and they're seeing the person who's dying doing Shane Stokes breathing, which is when you have a very abnormal breathing pattern. That's just your brain and your lungs no longer connecting. It is not painful for the person who's dying. They don't even know they're doing it. Mm. But it's hard for family to watch mm. because it it looks like they're gasping and they're not. Their their body is shutting down. So we talk about the shutting down process. We talk about the um the when someone was reaching up and trying to reach out, that typically that means they saw someone coming for them, which mm. is a very common experience. For people who are dying, people that have died before come and talk to them and then they come and get them. Um, I've had patients say, move out of the way. You're in front of Gabriel. Well, I'm going to move because I'm not going to leave an archangel. (laughs) That sounds like a really bad idea. He's got power and he can make someone an angel. So um, (laughs) if we go through all of that, what is scaring them? And then we talk about, you know, what are what what is holding you in? A lot of them, it's am I doing this right? Am I? Am I holding on to them correctly? Am I going to make them proud? Am I able to finish up the things because they went to the hospital so quickly I didn't talk to them? So we go through all the things that didn't get finished, all the things that didn't get said. Mm -hmm. And we work together on constructing a goodbye. Mm -hmm. So they can say those things out loud, Mm -hmm. including the things they wish they had been told. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many kids have parents who never said, I'm proud of you? 
mm-hmm. right? Never said I love you. Not because they didn't or weren't. They just weren't those people. Right. But right. they needed to hear it. So when you are saying goodbye, you can say, I really wish you'd said those things. Mm-hmm. I know you meant it, but I really wish I'd heard it. Mm-hmm. And you say goodbye. Yeah. And then you look at what things didn't get finished and you decide what things you want to finish and what things you're really done with. Mm-hmm. You know, my first wife left me a three page bucket list and I finished the damn thing. <laughs> uh, I danced when the youngest one crossed the graduation stage. Cause that was it. She, they were all graduated. I was done, but we need <laughs> to be able to decide where we want to go with our lives because when we have a death and we have a loss and we do the grief process, then we get to decide where we're going in our life. Mm. Not that we wanted this new life at eight. You didn't want your dad dead, but your new life is I created something new out of it mm-hmm. and something good out of it. Yeah. But it took me for years to do it. Because kids <laughs> you know, we weren't talking to kids about death in those days. And we still don't. You know, you do because you've I written do. books about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I get that you do. But as a society, we don't. No. You know? in, in, especially in Western, in America, we don't. As right. far as Eastern, you know, in India, for sure, it's talked about because it's so every it's day. Yes, it's cultural. You see people going in the river every day and you see cremations happening all the time. So here it's really, you know, it's, it's candy coated. Um, right. When I was a hospice and thing to do is to candy coat the truth and to not really, you know, like, no, take the bandaid off and get into the wound and let's really clean it out and make it better. You know, they make right? caskets that you can now write on so <laughs> that if someone young dies, their friends can write on their casket and write goodbye messages. Mm-hmm. Like, how cool is that? Right. You can yeah. bring them in. When I was with hospice, we had a group of second graders who lost a teacher. And the school brought all those kids to the chapel at the mortuary. And we sat down and wrote messages and drew pictures for the teacher. And then the kids who wanted to tucked them into the casket. And the kids who were afraid of it, we went and did Mm -hmm. it. Nobody was forced to go. Right. But some kids just need to know how those, how the casket works. works. How this goes, right? Don't break the casket. Don't knock it over, please. That's exactly. Knock the dog out of the box. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You can use that analogy anytime you want that story. (laughs) And feel free to invite me to any of your your lectures. I would be more than happy to speak about it. I would love that because we have been through it. We have been through death. If I count how many I've been through, right? Was even fifteen. It's staggering. It's a lost timeline. And losses are yeah. not just death. Right, losses exactly. Losses are, did you move? Did you change schools? Did yeah. you get married? Did you break up? All of those are losses. Right. So we yeah, no, there's a them. lot of, yeah, it's the trauma. But, you know, again, can you, can you start healing the and going through the grief process if you haven't dealt with the trauma? No, you have to do that as part of the grief process. So that's part of the grief process. It is definitely part of the grief process. So it's all wrapped up in it. What are... If you can explain really some stages of the Oof. grief process. Okay. Where do, so, we, where do we start to grieve and how do we start to grieve? If we know someone is dying, then we can do stages ahead of time, which is mm-hmm. Elizabeth Kubler Ross. That's what she brought us. You know, the five stages of grief. Those mm-hmm. were for anticipatory grief. Those mm-hmm. were somebody getting ready to die. And for and those who don't know, they are getting ready for someone to die. For those who don't know what they are, can you just quickly brush up? Denial, on bargaining, anger, sadness, acceptance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. that makes sense, because if you are told you're going to die, you're going to be in denial for a bit. Then you're going to bargain a bit. See if you can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to be pissed off and then you're going to be sad. And then you will eventually have to come to terms with it because there is no way out of this one. Mm-hmm. And the family members experience that. Mm-hmm. And then once the, if the family gets to do that, then their grief process is much shorter mm-hmm. and much healthier because they've done the things with that. They've person done the work. Dying. Yeah, they've done the work. work. Yeah. Right. And then after the death, the grief process is identifying what didn't get said, what didn't get finished. What am I waking up to nightmares about? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a COVID death, am I dreaming about respirators or those images from the New York morgue mm-hmm. or those sorts of things. Am I dreaming that I am not going to be able to carry on their legacy enough? Mm. Am I dreaming that I am not um, being the right person for them? Mm-hmm. Am I following what other people are telling me to do instead of doing it my way, mm-hmm. which is a problem with grief. People tend to take over other people's grief process and tell mm-hmm. them how to do it and give them rules. Mm-hmm. And so 
the trauma is working through the images, the thoughts, the leftovers, the what happened during that death. Was it an unwitnessed death and someone died on the highway and there wasn't enough really there for you to be able to even look at them, Mm, mm. right? And right now with COVID out here, it is easily a month before the coroner will release a body. Yeah. So you, you know, visitations are sort of a thing of the past for right now. Mm-hmm. So part but of dealing with the trauma the is also having a service of some kind later. Yeah, and that's the key. There, were, I once heard a great uh, wisdom speaker say, "Finish the sentence with right now." Mm-hmm. That's just right now. It's not going to be forever. That's what we're experiencing right now. And what everyone is experiencing right now is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. My guest is Jill Johnson-Young. The book that we're going through and talking about is on shelves now, and you can get it everywhere you can buy books, is called The Rebellious Widow, A Practical Guide to Love and Life After Loss. Jill, for those who are tuning in right now and saying, you know what, this is all a very lovely conversation, but we'll go there. Fuck the both of you. And all of your joy and laughter about death. I'm still in pain. I'm still hurting. This sucks. And I don't know how to grieve. Where do I start? Well, first of all, it does suck. Mm -hmm. And you are in pain. Mm -hmm. And um, I will tell you, it will be better, not because time heals it, but because you got to do the work. Mm -hmm. But let me just acknowledge it does suck. And we don't have enough space right now Mm -hmm. to do all of it the way we're supposed to. We're supposed to do grief together. Mm. We really are. I mean, look at oh, that could make weep. that could make just that thought of we are supposed to do grief together. Together, oh. and Zoom is not together enough. No, right. This is traumatizing funeral directors because they don't get to hug the families who are coming in to make arrangements, and they oh. don't get to let them see their loved one or have an inside funeral with people together. They're sitting six feet apart. So it's part of that is it really does just suck, and part of it is. We're going to have to finish this together as a community and as a society when it's safe to go back out again. Mm. So that means that when we can and you have 15 funerals on your calendar, you need to show up for each and every one of them. Even if you're not a funeral fan, Mm -hmm. you need to go because that family needs to see that their loved one's death counted. Mm -hmm. That's part of the minimum, the reducing the trauma is, okay, they're dead, but people are going to miss them. Mm-hmm. People are going to say their name, mm-hmm. right? That That's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's really, it's quite incredible because I know so many people that are going through this right now. And, um, you know, I constantly get emails of Zoom memorials, Zoom funerals. Of my, one of my mentors passed um, a week ago or so, and he was in Dubai. And you know his family is between Canada and Trinidad and all. There's so many moving aspects to, you know, how. But I'm like, that is so typical, Derek, where everyone is going to be all over the place. And he's going to do it in a way where everyone has to figure out how to get there. And, you know, we've got to roll out the red carpet. Right. <laughs> go to his funeral. So it was quite the service hasn't happened yet. But the works of it, you know, and because he was uh, so many celebrities knew him that if this was a real funeral, it would be the kind where it was like, oh, I would go to that funeral. Right, just to see everybody. <laughs> just to see everybody. And we can't, you know, minimize what funerals are really all about. And that's to celebrate the life of it's someone. To celebrate their life and to hug and to hold yeah. and to laugh because it is in that getting together while you're still crying mm-hmm. that the tears turn to laughter. Yeah. Because you're talking about who they were. Right. And, you know, if they're special enough for you to show up for a funeral, then there was something about them that created joy, too. Yeah. And so you're yeah. looking for that joy, too. And you you also want to give yourself permission as a griever mm-hmm. to have some sunshine and to have some laughter and to have some joy. Because one of the rules is don't laugh and don't smile. Right. Because then and you're not quiet. sad enough. Right, right, right. Oh, God, right? such a horrible pattern in pathology. It's horrible. That's, we're disrupting that right now. No longer. No longer. Exactly right. You're but supposed what to it? laugh when you're crying. What does it mean to actually be a griever? That's the term I use because we don't have titles for people who've Mm -hmm. had a loss. Mm -hmm. I'm a widow. Mm -hmm. There are widowers. There's no other title for anyone else. Mm -hmm. Best friend losses, sibling losses, grandma losses. And nothing for the children. Children who've lost parents. We don't have titles. Right. Right. I lost my favorite oodle last year. I don't have a title for that. And I want one because that counted. This is, hold on, this is blowing my mind because I've never thought, you know, we're in such a nation of labeling that the thing that really 
has, you know, that that is defines us, that defines us, has no definition except for the spouse of the deceased. Right. This is shocking. And you've done lots of research and there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. Isn't this bizarre? There's lots of words for grief and loss in some languages. But in English and here in the U.S., we don't have that. We used to have those things where we would wear, you know, black clothes for a certain amount of time. And then you'd wear the locket with the hair. Mm -hmm. We don't have that either. We don't have the black wreaths on the door, which I'm kind of Mm -hmm. grateful for. Right. We don't have any way to say I'm grieving. And it's not fair because when you've just lost a kiddo or your mom or your dad or somebody... You sh- or even your best friend, you mm-hmm. should be able to to say it mm. and wow. join with it because other people have had. The, you're sitting in a room; everyone there has had a loss like that. Mm-hmm. Not your loss, right. not the way you had yours, mm-hmm. but everyone's had some kind of loss. Wow! And there's a no griever. word. A griever. A griever. And we're all. That's the one thing we all have in common. We're all grievers. We're all grievers. <laughs> we right all here. know how to celebrate, and we all know how to grieve. We've had five hundred thousand people die. Yeah. Right. In a year, we are all grievers, whether or not you knew somebody. Right. I'd be surprised if you didn't at this point. But even if you didn't, we've mm. lost 500,000 people. Yeah. So we are all grieving and we need to be able to acknowledge that. Yeah. So, you know, of course, the illusion of time is upon us. So I'm going right. to have to do some rapid questions. But um, for the grieving process, um, it is a process. Yes. And how long in your experience does it really take to grieve? Tip depends on the person. It depends on the kind of death. The interesting thing is if you are that widow or widower who took care mm-hmm. of someone for a long time and you did the anticipatory grief, you're going to be done somewhere between three and six months. Mm-hmm. You're going to be done. And no one else is, which mm-hmm. is going to piss everybody off. Right. Right. But, you know, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, sometimes two years. If you're doing the work, mm-hmm. you will always have moments of sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hit that anniversary 10 years later and go, oh, wow. This is the day Linda died. I need to probably take a moment out and mark it. Mm-hmm. But it gets better over that time. It, sure it depends on how much work you do. Do you say the words? Do you say goodbye? You're done mm-hmm. faster. Do you hold on to it and want to think about all that trauma and not tell anyone about it and not get help with it? You're going to be there a while. Exactly. It's your choice. Well, you know, in your book, The Rebellious Widow, you say, give yourself permission to grieve now. Why is now the moment to give yourself the permission to grieve? excuse me because if you don't it's gonna wait and because Mm. people will tell you you know you should you're going to be doing this that used to be a year everyone had to have a year and Mm. after a year the light was supposed to be lifted Mm -hmm. and that wasn't actually all the grief literature somebody made that up out of whole cloth Mm -hmm. and then everyone repeated it so do it now get through it now you can finish your grief as quickly as you want to Mm -hmm. it is your choice oh that's beautiful that's beautiful because it is your choice to determine how long you want to grieve for, right? Right. Oh, and if you're supporting someone who's grieving, let them do it their way. Don't tell yes. them how to do it. Yes, that's the best tip. You. I was just going to ask do you. Do not what you want. tell people what to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right? And don't criticize them. Right. Oh my gosh, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> but you know what? Um, one thing I am going to tell people to do is buy the book, The Rebellious Widow. Um, real quick, where did the title come from? It came from me being the widow who decided I wasn't going to do it by the widow rules because there are a lot of them and they make absolutely no sense and they will give you quick flash. And I, I decided I was going to do it my way. Yeah. And that's the best way to grieve is to do it your way. <laughs> you know, again, I could, I could, we could sit here for another five hours, I'm sure, and have this conversation, but I wanted to start the conversation because I truly believe that when we start it, it goes into action and then people can, take it digested and live by it and and start to really grieve and realize that life is beautiful. We still have to live it. We're still here. And um, until we are no longer, you know, Alan Watts says the simplicity of life is to live. And that's what I do. To every live day. in this moment. Yeah. So what do you want people to take with them into this week? I want them to look for the good in the week. I want them to get outside if they can in sunshine. Mm. I want them to support people who have had losses And if they've had a loss, I want them to identify that to people and Mm -hmm. make themselves a griever Mm -hmm. and make themselves active in doing it so they don't stay there. Yeah. And for those that are looking to say, you know what, I think I need some help. I think I need someone to talk to. How can they reach you? I am at jilljohnsonyoung.com. 
um, in California. I'm at centralcounselingservices.com. And um, we also have um, some amazing therapists nationwide mm-hmm. who are available. Now they're a little slammed right now. We're, we're mm-hmm. busy, but yeah. someone will make space for you. If Beautiful. you need a referral, I will get it to you. Beautiful. And you know what? I, speaking of referrals, uh, I connected with BetterHelp. Uh, a couple of months ago, which was a great referral service. I found a great therapist who's also a life coach on there. So, you know, sometimes the life coach needs a life coach. <laughs> Absolutely. And therapists need a therapist. For and therapists need a it's therapist. a tough time. It is. Well, speaking of times, I'm glad that you and I are able to connect in this moment right here, right now. I really adore and I appreciate you. And I just love your wisdom because I know that it's really, it helps. It helps. It helps. And we need more. We need that. We need that. So this is what I want people to take with them into this week. It's from hashtag know the truth, the book um, by Gordana Birnat. And it's truth thought number 151. I am. I am a curious, playful spirit, exploring the polarity of the light and darkness in my reality. My heart is the place in time and space where soul and matter unite. My brain is the place in time and space where spirit and mind unite. My gut is the place in time and space where intuition and emotion unite. My breath is the place in time and space where I and the universe unite. I am the now where all becomes one. On that note, my guest, Jill Johnson Young, the book, The Rebellious Widow. I adore you. I thank you. Namaste. I hope to see you soon. If not, then on Zoom. On Zoom it shall (laughs) be. And we'll have another show here on Max and Friends. For all of you who really are going through it right now and who who need help or who want advice on how to grieve, Reach um, reach out, reach out. The best thing you can do I promise you this. I know it sucks. I know you're in pain. I know you have hurt. I know you want to cry. I know you want to break things. And if that's what you want to do, do it. (laughs) Just do it. Just think about doing it if you're going to break the Bakar or the leak. (laughs) Take a a breath. (laughs) But go through what you need to go through. And remember one thing. This is all we have in common. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? And I want you to know, Jill and I see you. We hear you. And you matter. Reach out, make the call if you need to. I love you all for tuning in. Until next time, give love, give love, give love, give love, give love, give love, give love to yourself and to one another. I love you all for tuning in. Until next time, good night and good karma. And remember to take life to the max. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends.